Hello and welcome to a CHI podcast for the upcoming PCR for Molecular Medicine conference being held this February 10th through 12th in San Francisco as part of the Molecular Medicine Tri-Conference. My name is Samantha Lewis and I'm the conference producer working on the meeting. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Carl Whitwer, a professor of pathology at the University of Utah. Dr. Whitwer introduced rapid cycle PCR in the early 1990s and he was the primary inventor of the light cycler system for real-time PCR. In the 2000s, he also developed high-resolution melting for genotyping and variant scanning. He's currently chairman of BioFire Diagnostics and still focused on increasing the speed and performance of targeted DNA diagnostics. Welcome, Dr. Whitwer, and thank you for taking the time to talk to us. I'm pleased to be here. So you've been around PCR for basically your entire career, and based on your past experience, where do you see the technology headed? Good question. So PCR certainly has been around for a while. Uh, We're going on, uh, I guess, 30 years now. And if you look at its evolution over those 25 to 30 years, it fits pretty well into the improvement of technologies in terms of becoming faster, less expensive, and better, more comprehensive. You mentioned early on that I was involved with um, rapid cycle PCR. That was a technique in the early 1990s that really did show that you could take what was most commonly performed as a two- to four-hour reaction and take the time for 30 cycles down to about 15 minutes. What I'll be talking about at at your conference uh, is taking that 15 minutes and reducing it down now to less than a minute. So speed of amplification certainly is an area that continues uh, to be of interest to get results faster. Um, in, in terms of expense, you know, there, there, there's been a lot of developments in PCR. Uh, basic PCR technology now is off patent. Uh, many of the um, proprietary elements, such as polymerase, they're also coming off patent. So costs of the reagents are coming down. Certainly competition in the marketplace has brought the instruments down in price um, over time. And there's been developments for... Um, getting more results of highly parallel uh, PCR, whether it's in the form of uh, microfluidic chips or uh, droplets where individual PCR reactions are formed and analyzed. Uh, In the case of droplets, of course, for digital PCR. Um, The other real development that continues to to occur is uh, getting more information out of individual PCR reactions. So certainly the largest development in that area was real-time PCR uh, in the late 1990s and, and, and throughout the 2000s. Um, and, and the level of convenience and integration into clinical diagnostics from real-time uh, certainly continues to uh, be an advantage of the technology. Um, of course, the integration of some other technologies based on fluorescence into PCR, such as melting analysis, and later on, the high-resolution melting provides some elegant, simple solutions for targeted PCR amplification processes. So where is it going to go from here? Um, you know, you'll continue along those dimensions to see improvement, both in speed, cost, and the uh, amount and quality of information that you can extract from individual PCR reactions. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that over the years, PCR has really cemented itself as as a reliable and sort of a go-to technology. But with with such rapid advances in sequencing, do you think that PCR will still serve a function? And if so, what types of functions do you see it serving? Excellent question. Of course, most massively parallel sequencing technologies depend on PCR or the integrated amplification steps, variants of PCR, bridge amplification, etc., uh, into the um, process that prepares the templates to be able to sequence in a massively parallel fashion. fashion. Um, you know, the, the exception possibly being uh, techniques that don't require any amplification, uh, the uh, kind of single molecule sequencing techniques that uh, that perhaps aren't there competitively now, but potentially might be in the future. Uh, the, the main difference, of course, is one between um, specific targeted analysis, where PCR excels in terms of sensitivity, being able to amplify a really small target out of a large mix, versus doing everything at once, Okay, the next-generation sequencing, massively parallel sequencing approach. Um, and it depends on, of course, what kind of information you really want to get out from your experiment. Um, you know, if, it, if you look in the past on the success of all of the uh, highly parallel chip technologies, they, they've been great tools for, uh, for, for discovery, um, whether they're, they're expression chips or, or, or SNP chips or, or massively parallel sequencing. So uh, the initial experimental discovery really, really is great. When you go into um, utilizing the information, the efficiency of targeted approaches, the most prominent being PCR, uh, typically continue to win out. Uh, that doesn't mean there won't be clinical diagnostics utilizing next-generation sequencing. I am sure there will be, but it's hard to imagine them displacing um, single-target analysis. So um, sort of complementary techniques on different edges of the spectrum uh, it's a little bit of a, philo- a philosophical difference. Um, certainly, next-generation sequencing represents big science, um, but there will always be a need in clinical diagnostics in individual laboratories to go after specific targets. Um, you know, for instance, you can look at um, the sensitivity you can achieve with PCR in, for instance, infectious disease testing. So to pull a few organisms out of a blood culture or a respiratory sample um, or trying to find a responsible organism for gastrointestinal illness, it doesn't make a lot of sense to apply next-generation sequencing to the mix of organisms, prokaryotic and eukaryotic, that you'd get uh, from those samples. So um, both will certainly have a place. Uh, I think mostly complementary to each other. I tend to agree with you on that one, too. So you mentioned that PCR is always going to be in need, but obviously even even with technologies that are essential, um, there's always some challenges. So what do you see as some of the challenges that need to be overcome with PCR? PCR has mostly, in, in its history, been a experimentalist um, dream.
screen. So it's a very basic technology that people can use as a core and uh, develop offshoots from it that have many different kinds of applications. So that base, to some extent, is being challenged over time, where, for instance, companies are more interested in developing proprietary assays that people will buy. So one of the challenges, actually, from my perspective, is the PCR process, um, different probe designs, uh, different clinical assays becoming uh, drawn away from the individual laboratory and the kind of flexibility and transparency that uh, leads to the best kind of innovation and uh, being pulled more into companies where uh, the products often um, don't disclose primer or probe sequences, for instance. So that's, that, that's maybe a philosophical challenge that I see. It's been such an extraordinary technique for further development that as it becomes more and more mature, I, I uh, mourn the loss of complete transparency. Um, you know, certainly, you, you mentioned it, it, it is a reliable technique, but um, particularly in terms of real-time PCR, there's many ways, of course, to get the wrong answer. And there are voluntary guidelines, for instance, the Mikey guidelines in 2009 that I think in general have been pretty helpful. And they've been um, gotten um, sort of good recognition, surprisingly, actually from the companies uh, even more than individual investigators or journals. So that's an area where, where, where companies have really helped out, I think. Um, so continued challenges. Um, you know, we talked about the directions of making things faster, less expensive, and more comprehensive. Um, they'll always be there, and I just hope that... Um, there's enough of a continued interest from smaller investigators to keep pushing the technique forward into more and different applications. And that's certainly something that you've done throughout your career in your lab. And you alluded to it earlier, but at the April Digital PCR Conference, you're going to be presenting on a PCR technique that allows efficient amplification in under a minute. And I know that you had mentioned that April will be the first time that you fully present on this, but can you give us a bit of a sneak peek into how that works? Sure. The way to view the speed limits of the polymerase chain reaction is to remember that um, molecules are fast and instruments that we build are relatively slow. So the speed of PCR has always been limited by instrumentation. Um, if you think about what limits um, the speed of the three stages of PCR, denaturation, annealing, and extension, um, enzymes, for instance, typically are really very fast. They turn over their substrates very quickly. Um, it's not uncommon for an enzyme, for instance, to process hundreds of thousands of substrate molecules. Um, the DNA polymerases in PCR are somewhat slower than that, more on the order of 50 or 100 nucleotides per second at temperatures where extension is usually performed at. Uh, but it, it's still relatively rapid. If you think about annealing, the main reason why it's slower than it might be uh, is the limits of the rate depend on the primer concentration. 
So what we've done to enable sort of the sub-minute PCR is to uh, remove some of the limitations of the annealing steps and the enzyme extension steps by increasing the concentrations, both of, both of the primers and of the polymerase. Um, the rate of annealing is directly proportional to the concentration of the primers. So if you increase primer concentration by tenfold, you decrease the required annealing times by tenfold. Uh, similarly, on extension, um, the concentration of polymerase put into PCR reactions um, is low enough so that each individual enzyme molecule has to recycle itself, that is, extend more than one template over and over again. And when you start going faster and faster, that recycling of the enzyme onto different uh, substrates to extend becomes limiting. So you can decrease the time required for extension by increasing the polymerase concentration, uh, also mostly a sort of linear relation. Uh, denatration itself, that last step of PCR, uh, also, as far as we've been able to measure, happens very, very quickly. Nothing's instantaneous, right? But um, once you reach the denatration temperature, the double strand unwinds very, very quickly, less than a second. So the times we're working with are um, you know, transitions uh, around 100 milliseconds or so and not waiting at the top and bottom temperatures. So, um, you know, any instrument that can move samples to these different temperatures could perform what we're calling extreme PCR, PCR really in, in less than a minute. The interesting takeaway is that it's entirely feasible to get to those speeds. So it opens up uh, the possibility for people who can develop such instruments. You know, the most obvious place would be in microfluidics uh, to use higher primer concentrations, higher polymerase concentrations uh, that enable very rapid or, or extreme PCR. I think, I mean, myself personally, that PCR at its core is just so beautifully simple that there's so many opportunities to, to sort of alter it and make it work how researchers need it to. And to that end, are there any future possibilities that you're looking forward to exploring? If you combine PCR in less than a minute with very rapid sample preparation and a integrated readout like melting analysis at the end of amplification, uh, again, you end up at it being entirely feasible to get to go from a sample to an answer from a clinical sample or a research sample uh, in minutes. So pushing that down to completing the whole process, sample prep amplification and analysis or detection, the easiest way I see really is melting. To get that down to about 60 seconds opens up, uh, sort, sort of gets you thinking in different ways. What would you use nucleic acid analysis for if you had your result in a minute or less? Um, again, it is entirely feasible. Many clinical samples don't require any sample preparation, for instance. Uh, so uh, following that line and uh, pushing the time to result for clinical diagnostics or otherwise. That obviously is interesting with so, interesting for somebody with a pathology background like myself. You know, it gets into how you could use this 
at the point of care, point of impact. Um, and you really start thinking different ways when you think about that time scale. The sample in answer out systems today uh, can complete the process really in about an hour. And, and, and they're getting uh, more and more powerful, so they directly answer specific clinical questions like uh, what's, what kind of organism is making me cough, giving me an upper respiratory infection. So take that hour and divide it by about 60 and then think about how you might apply rapid nucleic acid diagnostics. That's interesting and exciting to me. Um, I, I still like looking at the PCR process itself, particularly with fluorescence and trying to figure out uh, what kind of information is there during the temperature cycling. Of course, melting analysis, high-resolution melting uh, arose out of that focus. And there's, there's still more information there, I think, that we can extract that in the end is free to the investigator if you figure out how to look at it, just like uh, quantification is free from real-time PCR uh, if you develop the techniques and instrumentation to look at it. Well, the possibilities are, are likely endless with this technology. And I just want to thank you again for your time today. You're very welcome. Again. This has been a CHI podcast with Dr. Carl Whitwer of the University of Utah. You can hear more from Dr. Whitwer as well as other leading PCR researchers this February 10th through 12th in San Francisco. For more information and to register, visit triconference.com backslash diagnostics.